Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, CEO and founder of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benino. If you guys aren't on our Facebook group or on our website, streetcop.com, follow us on Instagram. We have a lot of value there. Uh, people are finding extreme, extreme value being part of our, our programs and, and getting the culture that we're getting out there. Anyway, today with me, we have Gil Eisenstein. Did I say that right, Gil? Stein, actually. Eisenstein. And then Randy Shrewsbury. Uh, very, very excited to bring you guys this episode of the podcast. I believe that this is going to be a very interesting conversation today. And I'm very thankful that they took the time out today to provide value to the law enforcement community on some of the idealisms that they share. As to without further ado, Randy, I'll let you go first. If you want to let everybody know and give them the one minute version of who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, so I am uh, the executive director and the founder of the Institute for Criminal Justice Training Reform. Uh, you can find us on trainingreform.org. Uh, and what we do is, is that we study uh, and advocate for improved training uh, for law enforcement officers um, in, the, in the United States. And we do that um, from a couple of different approaches. One, uh, of course, first, you know, we, we believe everything should be rooted in a, in a scientific um, uh, a, a foundation. Um, so we look at what works, what doesn't work. Um, and then uh, we pass those findings along to other law enforcement agencies or other decision makers, as well as looking at, uh, uh, at, at making change on the legislative levels, um, uh, both, uh, both on the, uh, uh, or, or each for federal, state, and local. And Gil? Yes, I'm the senior PR manager for the Institute. My job is to raise the level of awareness and visibility of the Institute, what we're doing in the police reform training space, um, and really just getting our name out there so all are aware of our of our organization. You now, Randy, you have a law enforcement background, right? I do. So I've I've spent uh, 32 years in criminal justice. Uh, the first half was as a police officer in three different states, uh, and I was in a myriad of different roles. Uh, I started as a dispatcher and uh, I was an uh, arson investigator, worked on patrol, obviously for a great deal of time, shift commander. Um, and then I, I transitioned away from uh, uh, policing and went into the private sector. I'm an expert qualified uh, uh, automobile crash uh, reconstruction uh, investigator as well as an expert qualified um, fire cause and origin. Uh, investigator. You must be good at math, my friend. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I had a very quick reminder of all of the times that I said, I don't need uh, to know algebra <laughs> uh, in high school. Uh, when I when I sat there and stared at some formulas that I was like, that looks Chinese, but uh, but it came around. And and thank goodness for uh, for technology as well, because it makes our job easier. Right. Uh, yeah. So all right, cool. Hey, what uh, and, and Gil, how did you find yourself uh, getting involved in this industry? Were you have a law enforcement background at all? I don't. I don't. I came across it and I thought it was very timely. Um, it's kind of tragic, but it's also something that uh, I'm interested in. So I I joined the I joined the institute about six months ago. Great, and, and you know what? Honestly, it is a um, it is something that can be fixed. And yes, as, and what we're seeing around the country is people. Uh, like ourselves and our company now and people who listen to this and people who have bought into at least our side of things 
that uh, there is there is go can be reconciliation on how we can fix and improve things for the future and maybe maybe for the steadfast uh, command that we have now it's something that they don't want to hear but we are doing our best to try to educate the future generations of law enforcement to be better than we once were so that's just my little shtick on that there uh, no. Okay. And, you know, I, I would add on, on on to this is is that um, it it doesn't matter what job you're in, right? You could uh, be a janitor, you could uh, be a teacher, you're a police officer, fireman, uh, uh, the president of the United States, and every job in between. We're all sculpted very heavily by how we're trained, and okay. so you know we uh, we just hit our fifth year uh, at the institute, and it was really the fundamental part that. Um, uh, you know, that uh, of why we started uh, the organization is because, you know, when we see these kinds of problems and we sit very much in a perspective of we understand um, why um, some factions of the community are upset, but we also understand that uh, what, what roles and responsibilities that police officers must carry and what's being asked of them. Um, and so when we try to balance those two things out, because, you know, um, th th there's been negative effects on each side, uh, is, is that it's, to me, it's kind of like, no kidding. We've, 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 we've got to start with training, right? This is where, where all of us, um, uh, uh, wh whether it's basic training or field training or, or the continued education, this is where we get the foundation of how we do our job. Yeah, for sure. And um, let's face facts. I think it's no secret that the basic foundation um, is probably the worst foundation you could find in almost any any profession. Um, then again, that could be argumented, to, uh, you know, argued as well, because, you know, uh, I think there's a, a, a big fallout in probably a lot of industries on the amount of training people need to receive or the type of training they need to receive in order to do their job proficiently. Well, and and. I, I wouldn't totally disagree with you. I mean, I, I think that you know when we when we evaluate the problems, it, the, the very first thing is when new officers are walking in the door. And part of the problem is is that the curriculum that that we work with today or new officers are introduced today um, isn't really that much different than it was 30, 40, 50 years ago. I I, I would say that fundamentally, um, police training in America has has never really significantly changed. We had kind of a shift in the late 50s, early 60s um, with the introduction of militarization after the Watts riots here in L.A. Um, uh, in the 90s, of course, you know, there was this, you know, a, a, a big push of, of top one crime. And so, um, you know, the, a lot of the militarized training there got a big boost. But if we look at the curriculum, other than some kind of added things, maybe about you know mental health or um, mental health response, or um, you know some technology things like taser or um, you know intoxilizer versus breathalyzer, whatever it may be, it, it's really about the same. It, it's it's exactly the same. And so, but the world's changed, right? I mean, uh, you know, uh, th th this idea that. Um, that policing can't evolve, right, or shouldn't be evolving uh, with, with with the changes that we have, you know, that's going on in our culture, I, I, I think is a recipe for disaster. Oh, and I, I think we've lived that disaster. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And we're living that disaster. And the worst thing is, 
And I'm going to ask you a question after this is it falls back on the shoulders of the patrolman who was maltrained. And sure. an administration who's in control of this goes, eh, 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 we, we sent them somewhere. You should know right. better. She should know right. better. So, yeah, so there's a couple of things, you know, that I that I would add on to that. Um, uh, the, there have been some cases, especially since George Floyd was killed, that um, uh, where we've seen a lot of outrage from the community, right, saying, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, that a police officer shouldn't have acted in a particular way. And and, and it isn't that, uh, you know, with all of them, I agree um, but some of them, I say, you know, I agree that, you know, maybe they were better choices, but the problem is, is they were doing exactly, you know, what they were trying to do, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a high profile case in the South where, um, uh, an officer had, uh, got his taser grabbed and, uh, shot and killed the guy. And, uh, if we remember Betty Shelby's case out in, who killed Terrence Scrooger, uh, four or five years ago, um, you know, turned out to be unarmed. Um, and she was tried and acquitted, um, but she was really responding to exactly what her training was. Should she have killed him, in my view? No, I, I don't think so. I think it was uh, avoidable. The jury said that they felt, felt like it was it was highly uh, uh, avoidable. But they cited training 11 times uh, in this, this statement that they made to explain why. And so this is... This is the, you know, I, I think this kind of crossroads that we're at is, is that from the outside, you know, especially from the outside, people are kind of seeing things and going like, well, this doesn't make sense that they didn't use, you know, tool A instead of tool B. And, and of course, it's easy to armchair quarterback, but um, but uh, but we need to be listening to those things, right? We need to be listening to, you know, why was it that the officer made the decisions that they did? And and I think very often, you know, uh, in fact, you know, we talk about the reasonable person standard. A great part of that is based on my training experience, right? Um, and so, if they're trained um, poorly, then then that's the outcome. I, I always tell this story, if I may. Sorry, uh, 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 I don't want to go on, but uh, I, I think a really good example. Uh, is actually Chipotle, um, believe it or not. So a few years back, Chipotle had this outbreak of, I, I think it was E. coli or salmonella. I'm not, I don't remember which one. I remember. Yep. Um, yeah. I remember, like, yeah. Yeah. People were just getting sick all the time. And immediately what they did was they said, look, we got to stop and we've got to figure out what's going wrong. What What has happened? Um uh, you know, that, that we're doing that that's allowing this to happen. And they found out that it was a training program that, uh, that the employees weren't trained properly on how to sanitize, uh, produce. And so immediately they jumped into action and said, you know, we've got to correct this, right. We've got to change, uh, so that, you know, we don't risk anybody getting sick, yet alone dead, um, uh, from it. Um, and, and, and they, and they did this, you know, through uh, reaching out to experts, um, to, you know, relying on their own, um, uh, you know, data and studies about the best way of dealing with this. Um, and and then a massive retraining um, all across the board. And it stopped. And, you know, I, I can't say that, you know, the, the problems that we have in policing today is that simplistic, right? We can't just be like, well, let's stop and tomorrow we'll be fixed. No, it's not going to happen. But, but if we don't drive and say, okay, obviously there's something with how we're training officers that's just clearly not working, right? There's too many officers 
um, who are involved in situations that could be avoidable, either resulting in, in the death of like an unarmed individual or their own death themselves. Um, uh, w- without doing that, then then I, I fear we're just going to continue with, with, with what's, what's happening. What do you, oh, you know, it, it sparks a thought of mine and I make this comment in class. I go, you know, I, at the end of my six month police academy, and I'll, I'll give you my little spiel on it. I go, you know, I find it comical that you are, you go to a pre-academy training where they sit you down in a room for two weeks and tell you to read 700 pages of policy while you play fucking Angry Birds. Okay. And then you sign off and tell them you did it. Then you go to an academy. Before you go to the academy, they tell you, look, you're going to go to this academy for six months. You're going to learn absolutely nothing. Nothing. Zero. When you get back here, we're going to put you in a car to go through field training with the guy who's been in patrol for 31 years. He's miserable. He's the worst cop we have, but he writes a good report. And that's a that's an important part of law enforcement. And then you do that for 12 weeks miserably. And then in 12 more weeks after that, when you have your first incident where something's reported to internal affairs on a malfeasance of duty and not intentionally. uh, And I want uh, maybe malfeasance isn't the right word, but maybe a negligence of some sort. And they're sitting you up there saying, why didn't you know any better? Well, because you've never tr- taught me how to do this correctly. And I make this joke in class that I went to, the, I'll give you two jokes that I tell. I go into the academy you went to. This one, get back, get back. We take a stick out and hit a bag for 20 sessions that in, in your career, you will never pull a stick out and yell, get back, get back and swing a stick and do a rear reverse strike on people. It just doesn't work and nobody does it. And the second thing is, at our at my academy graduation for my third one is very militaristic. Uh, I mean, on stage when we were when we were doing our ceremony, we looked like the Marine Corps drill team, and we looked phenomenal. Uh, with crisp boots, glass, and I was standing on stage. I didn't know what to do when a car smelled like weed. You think anybody would have told me that in six months? Not one person thought in their mind that all these academy specialists, the director, this guy's been around forever. We know everything. Blah blah blah. How about you tell us what to do? When a car smells like weed, you think that could have been a topic that I don't know. We probably run into rats sooner than later, and we're stopping cars and they smell like weed, and we're like, "What are we doing?" Right. Uh, we don't know. And then we start searching cars, right? And then we didn't. Nobody told us we didn't have the automobile exception in New Jersey. We didn't have it. We had to get a warrant. So, like three years into doing this, and nobody's catching on. A judge says to us, "You guys got to get a warrant when a car smells like weed," and we're like, what? "No, we don't. We've been doing this for three years." And they're like, "Yeah, you have to." You know. So that's the reality of it. So. I'll piggybacking off of that, what I want to ask you is, what do you think is the main roadblock to the furtherance of change? And namely for this, I'm talking about in the police training space. Why are we having such a difficult time implementing? And I know the answer. I just want to see what your answer is going to be. Uh, and again, I don't mean to sound ridiculous about that. I've done a lot of thinking on it. I'm, I think I'm some holy uh, above everybody thing. I, I've been around for 20 plus years in this space as well. And I've seen it. I see it firsthand. I'm in the space. But what do you think the the roadblock is? Money, <laughs> right? It's money. So, so I think that um, I, 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 th- I think first of all, I think I, I think there's I think there's a handful of ones, and I, I think that you know when we talk about culture and we talk about uh, you know an unwillingness to change. There you um, go. That uh, you know that that certainly. Um, uh, uh, certainly standing in the way. I, I think that the, <clears throat> at least my experience in the culture of policing, and I, and, you know, I talk to police officers, uh, every single day. Um, uh, I, I also teach a, a criminal justice class in a small, uh, 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 college up out here in you, uh, uh, in LA. Um, 
And, you know, and and with some of my colleagues, you know, who have been in law enforcement as well for a very long time, it is is that it is this idea that this somehow is working. um, And so therefore we shouldn't change it. But um, but but setting that aside for a moment is that I would say that even that is all kind of really speaking about money. So there's two issues. One is, is that. um, (laughs) Excuse me. One Randy, if you is, go down right now, I'm going to miss you. I'm tell you, I've been friends long, but if you go down, I'm going to miss you. And, and me and Gil are going to have a great life of friendship together without you. Well, I can't I'll wait. do my best to stay alive for the remaining part of at least the yeah, You want to finish the friggin' podcast and then you could you could do it. You got to do it. It would be rude of me to die in the middle of this. Yeah, I know you miss uh, your grandmother, but give me another 40 what, minutes. Yeah. Then what, you go what, visit her. What an inconsiderate bastard I am. <laughs> um, uh, so... Um, so there, the two things is, is that one is not changing things, maintains cover for liability, right? So the, we'll talk for a moment about the 21-foot rule, which uh, I, I, I speak out against all the time. It's a bullshit rule. We should It, it should have never been implemented. It shouldn't be trained. It shouldn't be used as some sort of guideline. Um, it's nonsensical. It has no nuance whatsoever. It assumes that we're talking about... Um, you know, uh, a would-be attacker on a, you know, flat ground, uh, 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 you know, that uh, uh, that an officer standing in a, in a static position just waiting for someone to run to them. Uh, no difference between if it's Usain Bolt running towards them or a 90-year-old woman, 21 feet, 21 feet. It's just oversimplistic. We could do a whole podcast uh, just talking about that. But, uh, but it's still there. And... Um, even when they say, you know, that it, that it's taught, you know, unofficially as an example, or it's used as a guideline, it's because that this does provide, um, especially around qualified immunity, it, it provides some cover relative to, um, to to liability, back to to the department and the officer themselves. So, so that's one thing is is that uh, we know. You know, over the years, we kind of know what things that that the courts are going to be saying that this is, is within the scope of, of an officer's training and therefore that that protects them liability. But he, here's the bigger issue about training academies is, is that until we decouple um, the academy um, away from taxpayer um, uh, uh, taxpayer or uh, yeah, taxpayer funding. Um, then there is always going to be this limitation on um, on how much we can expand, right? So one of the things that you know uh, we talk about all the time, you've probably heard this before, um, is where cosmetologists require are required about twice the training that police officers are in every single state in the United States. I found out about this on a date with a cosmetologist uh, years ago. Well, she was listing through all of her training requirements, and I was stunned because I, I was a police officer in two states at that point and or had been in two states and still hadn't had the amount of training she got. And so when we talk about that, and, and the same thing applies, you know, to nurses and plumbers and electricians and lawyers and, you know, so many of other r- regulated positions. And when we are asked about, well, why is it that the state is willing to say that, you know, a cosmetologist on average having to get 18 months of training, but a police officer is six, is the simple answer is, is that they're not paying for it. That's it, right? So they're able to objectively look and say what would be required for a cosmetologist to be able to perform their job safely, both for them and their clientele, and to be able to learn all the information that they need to do their job. And 
you know, and they, they've gotten outside advice. They've gotten, you know, they've done research and they can say, okay, uh, we're going to regulate this, this profession and say that, you know, they need 18 months of basic training. Then they need some, some, um, uh, apprenticeship, and then we need to do some continuing education. Da, 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 da. But the problem is, is that if if we now say, right, if 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 a post says, um, "Hey, legislator, we need more money because um, because we need to expand our training, triple it or quadruple it," um, I, I mean, they'd be kicked out of uh, out of the office. There's there'd be no way. In fact, you know, when we talk about even these movements around defund the police. I don't have a problem with looking at how we're allocating funding, you know, what, what a state's priorities are. But but when we talk about the 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 actual workings of defund, who gets hit first? The training divisions. That that's the, that that's the low hanging fruit for them. And so, like if, if we look at like Los Angeles as an example, we're going backwards. We're, oh yeah. Uh, right over the last five years, we we've, we've begun requiring less training for officers than what what we did, um, and. Uh, and I assume next year is going to be the same thing because they just took a pretty heavy hit on on their budget. So my view is is that, uh, and the view of the organization is is that we need to move this to higher education, right? We need to move this um, to a college, just like you would go to in any other um, uh, profession. Um, uh, you know, have in the pool uh, in the state budget for some incentives and some grants to make sure that everybody has an equal opportunity to get in uh, and do this work. Um, but it's only from there that we're going to be able to, to apply um, uh, the amount of time and the proportion of, of, of the curriculum. You mentioned in your training about, uh, you know, not being taught about, you know, uh, uh, a state law exception around you know, this Fourth Amendment issue with with weed in the car. Well, the reason why is because I'm assuming uh, you spent about a week and a half on law, right? Uh, I don't even know if we spent that much time on law. And by the way, we didn't spend the time on law that mattered. We spent the right. law talking about legislative law. Yeah. It, for, so, so here's what I what uh, I for those you know who who don't know is is that so the average right now uh, from, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics is about sixty hours um, of training on law, but that's to learn constitutional law, right. uh, federal criminal law, federal transportation law, state law, state criminal law, state um, uh, traffic laws, local laws and ordinances, and liability and torts, right. And 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 been basically six days. Um, it's absurd. Of course, they can't learn. And and this is why we see video after video, uh, you know, especially now with everyone with a camera in their pocket of a of an officer telling somebody something that uh, you know is just blatantly false, right? Um, it's because we it, it and I don't think that it's the police departments who who aren't saying like, well, we don't need to teach them more law. Right. That that's not it. it. The problem is, is that we have six months to cover, you know, a hundred and some topics. How are we going to cram this all Randy, in? Randy, you got you got states are doing six week academies. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, uh, uh, I, I, well, you have Hawaii that doesn't require any at all. I mean, they have it at Honolulu and, and Maui, the large departments, but uh, there's officers there who aren't trained at all. Um, uh, the other issue is, is that I, I think it's an obstacle is, is that uh, the decisions that we're making aren't data driven, 
And uh, I, I, I have a, a guy that I talk to pretty regularly, runs a, a police academy in the Midwest, uh, a pretty large department. And he uh, he called me a few, I don't know, a few months back, and we were talking about a de-escalation program that uh, that their department has implemented and, and done, you know, wide, um, uh, wide training to, to all the, not only in basic, but all the, the officers themselves. And I was like, that's awesome. And it sounded great. It sounded like it was, it, it was good. But I said, how do you know it works, right? How are you measuring to find out if this, if this is actually, you know, reducing um, the number of use of force cases? Or are, are you measuring to say, is, is this creating more danger for the officers? And it was just dead silence on the other end, right? And, and, and this is the unfortunate part is, is that we're making decisions really just that, that aren't rooted always in science, that, um, that isn't supported by data. Well, they sound just that fancy on paper, right? Right. Look what right. we do here. We went, we went to my third academy. They, they, they were so proud. They had a, uh, a water rescue training program. And we spent, <laughs> we, listen, just no bullshit. I mean, we spent literally weeks swimming and laps and doing drills and swimming and rescue. We all got certified as lifeguards when we left. And by the way, they fudged that shit too. <laughs> Make sure you got certified as a lifeguard so they could say that we are the only program on the strike that had lifeguards. And, you know, I'm like, cool. Not one fucking person at this place has a lake in their town. <laughs> right. So right. good thing we spent this much time on learning water rescue training. I, I'm going to, I just want to step back just a second here. Um, sure. I'm going to come back to that in a second, but you know, you said, how do you keep the standard set high in, 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 in a college setting? Um, and I'll jump in and try to make the argument that, well, how do you, how do you conform? I mean, you have, and this is my theory and listen to it a little bit in the time that I've been doing this, I've been able to collect what I consider to be some of the most uh, expert people in certain topics and area of, of, of topic in the law enforcement community. I don't think that there are many people who have the skills of some of our people here who are considered deemed experts. So how do you replicate that on a large scale? And our solution is, and we actually are looking into making a universal training program because the bottom line is we can't take essentially maybe by the end of next year, the 60 instructors who are experts on what they do. And there's no question about it. You can sit in their classes and that's why we have such uh, growth in the, in the matter that we do. How do we take them and, and multiply them by 700? three times a, a month? And the answer is you can't. There's only one way to do it, and that's with the internet. Yeah. So I, I, I think in my mind, when I begin to envision what it's going to look like, they're going to have to relinquish the responsibility to those who can actually handle it. Um, in a college setting, it's hard to, you know, you start getting into, into theories, theoretical conversations in a classroom, which is great, and it's cool, but we have to get into the root of what we actually need to function as police officers. So you know, what's your thoughts when you say something like getting into a college setting? How do you circumvent the problem of getting actually standard training without it being standardized? Because let's face facts, a lot of this can't be standardized. That's essentially our problem. Well, I, I don't have a problem with with post uh, saying, look, you know, the, the, these the, these areas of curriculum must be met by, you know, training for these particular hours um and then a, a college having kind of some freedom of saying we're, we're going to do a little bit more emphasis on you know maybe criminology yeah, but who's going to do it right like you know you you're here that's great you do a nice job i'm over here great 
What do you do? What do they just point? Like what they do at police academies, they point at somebody and say, you, you'll do this. Right. You know, how, many, right. how many times you see a guy get, they had nobody to teach. So they have a guy come in, hand him a fucking thumb drive. He yeah. sticks it in the goddamn computer and goes, yeah, I don't know. I was sent here today to teach this to you. What have you done? What kind of service have you done for us? So well, well, I, 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 look, I'm not saying that, um, I, I, I'm not saying that, that there wouldn't be any of those issues in a college setting, but I do think that there would be less, right? I mean, if someone works in a college, is, is that, you know, we, we do have a fair amount of oversight, not only from the school itself, but our accreditors, right? So, uh, you know, we're subject to it. But, and, and the academies now, no, I, I don't disagree with you that I, I don't think it's, it's a silver bullet necessarily, but I think that, um, you know, again, is, is that when, when like just I, I totally agree with you about where there's a guy like you're, you're the one who gets to uh, run PowerPoint today and that's going to be your training uh, or here signed this sheet for this 10 hour training and you were there three hours. Right. Um, uh, but the, but a part of that problem, I, I, I think, you know, is, is a lack of oversight and a lack of independent. Oversight. Well, sure. And, uh, and, and, and by the way, a lack of self-policing and responsibility of saying to you to your class, I don't know. And right. I shouldn't be teaching this because yeah, they don't yeah. because there's only so many little carrots to grab in this little profession. Sure, sure. So I, I also want to say, you know, comes back to my theory on I find it comical that college students go to college for business and are taught by people who have never owned business and actually have never ran right. a business where you can have. I would much rather take a course with Mark Cuban than I would with Tim, the professor at, uh, you know, Thomas Edison State University, who right. makes $64,000 a year, telling you about entrepreneurship, who lives in a two-bedroom condo that he's barely making ends meet. So but, well, but, 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 let, let me bounce that off or bounce off of that, because I don't disagree with that. I think that we're, we're still going to have to have experts in the field. We're still going to sure. have to have people from, you know, who, who, who have the life experience or, or, the, or the professional experience that. Um, I that, think coupled that, with the ability to teach and communicate. Exactly. Exactly. But also, do I want a guy who who went to the academy 15 years ago or 20 years ago when law was 40 hours instead of 60 hours, who's standing at a podium and just reading through a bunch of bullshit of well, well, all that? Right, that exactly. Really, it's not even that applicable anymore. Right. right. And so, by the way, we 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 say at this company, we just had a conversation. We did a podcast yesterday with Zach Miller, who's our case law expert, and myself. Um, that we don't even think most cops should. Okay, we think that you should read case law, but you should have a discipline to understand whether or not you're processing it. And applying it correctly and understand, understand what, a, what a ruling means right. and, and how to separate the facts of the ruling with the actual ruling itself. So, yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's crazy. I always tell people in class, uh, that's how we begin the program after the introduction. We over, we start getting introduction into case law and the importance of it. And I say, how many of you learned case law in the academy? And I said, now for the seven hands at 150 that are here, I'm taking away the automobile exception to the written warrant requirement. Now, how many of you have learned case law? And nobody raises their hands every single time. And I said, why do you think they don't teach it? And I said, good, you know what it is. And the answer is, they don't know it. Right. So the crazy thing is, is you have institutes of higher learning for law enforcement who literally have nobody to teach what the law is. And then the best part is they bring in prosecutors who don't know what the law says either and cannot process information and not cut. And then giving out wrong information contradictory to the stuff that we're delivering and then find their feathers ruffled and, and slinging mud our way because they're wrong. You wouldn't believe the emails I've gone back and forth with these people. I'm like, how are you missing the point here of what this case is? When you cited 37 minutes on an investigative detention in class, 
Um, I'm curious how that is contradictory to the piece of case law that one says there's essentially no time limit, but this, we know that technically there's going to be a time limit. Reasonable. And here's a piece that says roughly about two hours, and this is the presiding piece of case law. And you went with something from two years ago to 37 canine officers in a class or 41 canine officers in class because you because they said this was OK, literally. And, and you're getting a response back like, I'm not allowed to talk to you anymore. Whoa, hold on a second. Nobody's listen. Just don't show up and say, you know what you're doing if right. you don't. It's a big responsibility to to present yourself as somebody who's knowledgeable and and by the way as a as a as an instructor you've got to separate especially for law enforcement or i think any any teacher in general personal opinions with factual data and techniques that actually work you can't we don't need to hear about what your position is on this it doesn't matter right. factual data and i always tell people in my class there's nothing in this program that is going to be an opinion and by the way it may appear like it's an opinion, but think about the things that I'm saying. Right. Nothing's an opinion here. I, well, I, it, again. well, well, and and I'll piggyback on that because you you made a comment earlier um, that you know made me think about this. Is that um, a, a part of the problem? Is is a significant part of a police officer's training is based around opinion, and it's the opinion of the FTO, right? It's the opinion of the field training officer. Uh, I have a standing uh, offer, and I'll extend it to you and your listeners, that if anyone can tell me that they went through field training and did not have a field training officer uh, uh, who said, okay, you've been to the academy, now I want you to fucking forget all of that, and I'm going to yep. tell you how. Every single it. time. Right? Uh, I, I will buy you dinner if uh, if you had an experience otherwise than that. And this is a part of the, the issue, right, is, is that, um, to your point, is, is that, this is his or her opinion, right? Of of how it really should be. How about this how one? I'll go. I'll go one further, Randy. How about this one? Hey, uh, listen, man, this job ain't worth it. Don't do the very minimum, right? right? You don't got. Don't get involved in this shit. This guy's a jerk. Like, hold, hold, hold on a second. Yeah. Oh, you know, and, and nine years ago when I showed up and said, hey, you know, there's like a handful of us in the state that've been proactive and doing interdiction work and, and actually having impact on society. And guess what? We've also received 100% conviction rate and no internal affairs complaints. And people said it just can't be done. And here we are nine years later. And I'm proud to say when you drive around New Jersey, a lot of people have relinquished the laser guns and now are focusing on interrupting kidnappings, yeah. interrupting planned armed robberies, um, right. interrupting or, 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 you know, apprehending extremely uh, egregious felony suspects or, or people with warrants with full extradition around the country. So at first it was hard for them to digest, but, but essentially, you know, now it's becoming the standard. And I always remind everybody that if we're getting to a place where we're going to be proactive in the way that I envision it, nobody's going to snicker at somebody who's going to go out and apprehend somebody who's wanted for raping kids three states away. That's right. I promise you that. But what people are going to be annoyed at is when they're late to work and sped for the first time in 14 years and got caught and paid $750 in fines. So you've got to try to think about how you're going to behave when you go into the field and how are we using our time wisely to promote uh, our ability to go out. And you said was great in the beginning when before we went live or recorded was probability versus possibility and directing that focus to the largest impact we can have in society we're on top of that people can get behind us and say you know i don't know if you saw the other day that woman 
who kidnapped four kids and she was inter, you know, she was interdicted by a uh, Detroit police officer. And, you know, people started writing like, well, see, traffic works. I'm like, hold on a second. This is a pretextual stop. What worked was training and experience of this gentleman taking his job and being motivated at it, seeing this, knowing something was wrong and applying the laws of a pretextual stop to effectually save four children. And I thought about this this morning in the shower. I said, how much crime, how many kids, how many lives were lost because of this relinquishment of the ability to know what a pretext is um, or the culture of we don't do that here or um, that's not the kind of cop I am. And we have an obligation to society, to children at a very minimum, to have our eyes open and to when we see something that doesn't look right, look into it. Absolutely. And, and, and I, I, you're, you're dead on right here. And th- th- this is this is an area that's very, very dear to me because um, one of the really major issues that 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 is rooted in training because it's you know we are what officers are out there doing is what we're training them to do and then it's a it's a small minority of officers it sounds kind of like how you were that we're going like well I, I want to do more than that that's not what I signed up for and and it and it makes me think of a, a of a story um, or a video that I've seen a few times here in LA and uh, what it is is that um, LA officers are standing in this kind of uh, high traffic bar area, right? And they see an Uber driver drop somebody off. And um, uh, one of the undercover officers run up to the Uber driver and says, hey, my phone's dead, so I couldn't order Uber. Can I give you just 20 bucks in cash and you drive us home? And the Uber driver's like, sure, I'll do it. And then immediately they, they cite him or arrest him for regulations around, um, you know, ta- violating regulations around taxis, right? And I'm like, it's so disheartening. <laughs> and by the way, fucking signed up to do is is this what? When, right. when and you- by the way, Randy, like, you know, you can't even blame these guys because for the first time ever, sometimes in my class, guys are 21 years on the job. Like, I've never even heard of it this way. Well, uh, right. I, I, and, and this is the whole thing. Like for me, is is that. There are there are a few exceptions, you know, when we look at, you know, Chauvin with George Floyd, that that's, you know, that's easy to point towards him. I, I very seldom say that this is an issue with the officer. This is an issue with supervision. This is an, an issue with training and and around policy. And I but, but but I do think about like, OK, so we're spending resources on on uh, officers standing there, you know, to be able to cite somebody for some little bullshit violation. There's 10,000 unsolved homicides in Los Angeles <laughs> County alone, there nearly a million uh, across the United States. Oh, right? I bet. So imagine for a moment being a parent of someone uh, whose whose child was killed and 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 for years this case has gone unsolved. And what you're looking at are police officers spending time pulling people over for bullshit stuff like, uh, you know, uh, a license plate light out, um, unless it was the furtherance of a bigger investigation. Right, right. I, I'm fine with that. With, with the intention to write a ticket. Right, right. Or just fishing for bullshit, right? Because they're they're bored or um, uh, or or seeing them, you know, uh, being who is responsible to deal with the poverty in our in our country, right? The other societal woes. It shouldn't shouldn't have been handed off to the police in the first place. And but I ask myself, like, you know, and, and this is, you know, w- what I went through, too, is is like, is, is this what I really signed up to do? So, like, I was drawn to investigations very, very early and I liked it because it was critical thinking and 
there there was a there was you know very often a result to my a tangible result to 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 my work other than this just kind of factory blindly going out and you know let let, let me just pull somebody over who's got the junkiest car because they're the ones who's likely to have a suspended license or some failure to pay warrant, right? Um, right. So th- this is all revolving around poverty probably anyway, and then get nothing from it, right? No, no by the way, like crime, no no real justice of any type. Here's another question I ask people in the, in the classical, who went to an academy that taught you how to catch bad guys, right? That, right. And, and, and to this day, I teach probably in the ballpark of, Maybe five thousand cops a year. Myself personally, wow. um, I have not heard of one person who went to an academy that taught you how to catch bad guys. Uh, how, how are we going to a, to a higher level training place, and we don't know how to catch bad guys when we leave? And by the way, I want to show you something. Just again, we really didn't know each other prior to this sure. conversation today. And I said, you know, I think we're probably cut from the same cloth. Uh, this is an Instagram post that I had the other day. I don't know if you can read it, but uh, this is the post that I have. It actually did very well. But I'm going to read it to you, and it says, "Yeah, I can see." Uh, can you read it though? Is it reversed? No, no. I, uh, well, no. I'm just old and I, uh, I, I can't see that small writing. Something right, so I it says, criminals, but it's a, it says if you have time to write tickets, then you have time to catch criminals. Use your time wisely. That's right. Yeah. That's so right. and it, you know, of course, um, fourth within hours there were thousands of likes. You know, now now it's three days later. It says we have uh, four thousand nine hundred sixty three likes on a on a platform where our our viewership is or engagement on our Instagram is about sixty. 5,000 people. Um, those are really responsive. And what it tells me is, it's like, yeah, we all agree. Now, are there people in there who are like, you're an asshole? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, when you have been led to believe or hung your hat on some kind of technique that you think has equated to police work for 19 years, you can go dig up four of your other friends that agree with you. And you guys were right. getting a little group together and go, tickets are important, <laughs> right? And right. then you got the outcasts in the police department, the 10% of people who are focused on having a larger societal impact. And they're the outcasts. They're the guys, they're the troublemakers. Yep. Right. And I, we had a guy, and I say this a lot because I really enjoyed this conversation. A guy messaged me on, on Facebook and said, you know, thanks for everything. I've, we, we have a lot of success and uh, hopefully you'll, you'll delve into it a little bit more. But he said, my chief is happy with the work. He says, uh, I go out, I'm just constantly finding trouble. And my response to him was, what kind of police officer are you if you're not finding trouble? That's right. What are you doing? If you're not, if you're a police officer and you're not finding trouble, my question is, what kind of cop are you? Right. You know, I, I don't know. What You tell me. And again, I want to remind everybody, I'm very empathetic and sympathetic to the idea that you have landed in an agency where they are being led by people who uh, are more concerned with, at the top, their biggest concern is to ensure that they're getting a direct deposit every two weeks and nobody's going to conflict with that. And their insecurities uh, allow, allow that to progress into society where who pays the ultimate price is society because the police officer who's being dissuaded from doing police work may have interrupted and, and, and saw that, seen that guy not wearing his seatbelt in the back seat who had a, a, a warrant for rape, but that later that night was able to climb in some lady's window and rape her or a kid's window and rape them or kidnap them. But right. that chief's got to, you know, you got to worry about that, that paycheck every two weeks. Right. And what I find interesting to that is the politics tied into law enforcement. But on top, uh, if you look at now, you can see that they have no problem. The media has no problem finding a chief that they know will pander and cower and fold like a cheap chair. And they avoid the fuck 
out of going to try to confront the chief that they know they're going to get nowhere with. That's right. They don't, they don't go to Grady Judd in Florida and start breaking his chops. He's not going to take it. Or the other guy in Florida, they're not going to take it. They're like now the guy in Milwaukee, the sheriff in Milwaukee. And again, I, I'm not saying they're not I just don't know the names off the top of my head. Media is terrified of these guys. You know where they run to? They run down to, uh, you know, liberal cities where they're going to get what they want to sell advertising space. That's right. So if you, right. if you, if you were a police commander and you had a spine and stepped up and said, yeah, no, this was great. Uh, we actually like what he did there. Um, and we, and we appreciate the work that he did. Not like, well, we're going to look into it. We won't make a call yet. You know, we agree that it, up front, it looks a little straight. Hey man, look, yeah, there's a thing that's got to go on with this, but as it looks right now, it looks like you did a nice job. Why are we never saying that? And, and by the way, Randy, how many nice jobs are done a day? Right. right, right for sure. For sure. You know, what do we get? We, we've got these 15 to 20 incidents per year that they're going to put a magnifying glass on. What about, what about the, how many times I've been approached and, thanked as a police officer who was recognized on my off-duty time for having empathy and kindness in a moment or going the extra mile or, hey, remember that time when da, 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 I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was me. And I just want to say that the time you spent with my kids while they were going through that and and what it, uh, it meant a lot to us. A- absolutely. And, and I think that um, I, I, I think that a part of the issue um, that, that, that we deal with you know, like we were talking about kind of uh, like doing like these fishing expeditions on traffic stops and that sort of thing. Is, it's is untrained. That, it's all, it all comes down to one thing, training. Let's face facts. A, a, absolutely. And so what happens is, is that, you know, you live in a community where every time that you you pull out, right? And then let's say you have an old car that, you know, isn't going to be always up up to 100%. A light might go out or you might have an air freshener hanging or whatever, but just constantly over and over and over and over and over, you're being pulled over for bullshit, right? Um, when it comes time for to have these defenders from the community, right? As you're talking about with the media to say like, hey, you know, we, it, it's one of the reasons why I, I find the, the argument about abolishing police is absurd. Um, is is that uh, is that we're a society that has an absolute requirement? We need policing there, right? It, it doesn't say that we can't change the priorities of policing, but but if 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 you're just constantly just fucking with somebody over and over and over and over, oh, it's crazy. The most pettiest of things. Well, here's going to be the result of this. Number one is that they're never going to be your defender, right? It isn't that you know you're an officer who's out beating somebody with a stick and they don't want to come defend that, right? Because that's that's not the case. Those are very minority uh, of cases. This is uh, I'm pissed off because this guy gave me a $500 ticket for some little bullshit that uh, you know because uh, my headlights were aimed in the right direction or one was off calibrated. Um, who then is going to be unwilling? to step forward, not only to defend the police, but also to help solve crime, right? And so I always tell a story uh, very early in my career, uh, uh, we had a homicide in my jurisdiction where the, a boyfriend had gone in and uh, just executed his girlfriend, shot her twice in the back of the head uh, while she was down on her knees. And um, we knew it was him, but we just didn't have enough physical evidence to be able to tie it to him. And it was uh, a guy had come forward a few months later that I had pulled over at some point for uh, he had swapped tags off one car and put it on the other. We call it fictitious tags. I know it's called something different in, in each state, but um, but he took tags off one of his car, and put it on the other. And I was like, dude, get your car home. Um, I, I think I wrote him for expired tags instead of towing the car and all that shit. And 
but he came back around and said, look, um, uh, I, I, I remembered you because, you know, you weren't an asshole to me. Number one, number two is like, even though I fucked up, you, you know, you didn't just drop a hammer down on me and think of like, how many tickets can I, can I possibly write? Um, gave me a break and I went home. So I have some information for you. Uh, dude, uh, who shot his girlfriend, he stole his, stole the gun from his grandmother and the gun is at the bottom of this pond. We sent divers down. Sure enough, uh, there was the gun tied that back registration to mom. We were able to use that evidence in interrogation and dude confessed. We got a conviction and he went off to prison. And now, could have something else turned at some point for sure, right? Another informant might have stepped forward or another member of the community might have might have come forward. But um, and look, and I'm sure I've pissed off plenty of people. And it's certainly in hindsight, um, you know, there, there, there are situations where I wished as I've gotten older that I maybe would have handled differently. Or there's just some people that you have. I think all of us. Here, right. Yeah. All of us. Uh, so, you know, it's not every single one, right? You can't let every, you know, uh, uh, you know, every violation go because one day they might be an informant to you. But the more that we we degrade this relationship between between the departments uh, and, and the community, um, then the less the less people are going to be willing to step forward. And I think that that's we're seeing this result. Like when we look at homicide rates, as an example, you know, nearly a million in the United States unsolved. That's not including rapes, robberies or, you know, burglaries or what we, you know, uh, uh, high felony crimes. Uh, we're just talking about just homicides. Right. Um, or missing persons. Oh, my God. Uh, so if if you have this adversarial relationship, why I wouldn't step forward either, right? Um, so, but but no one's complaining that hey, uh, we're pissed off at the police because they're solving too many burglaries in my neighborhood, right? They're not pissed off that like uh, uh, they're they're inter- they're out interviewing a bunch of people about a robbery that occurred. No, that that's not what's pissing them off. That's not what, where the divide is is becoming. It's because that they recognize that the priorities of the police in very in many circumstances have been skewed. And, and it's been skewed because it's starting that, that that's how they were trained to police, uh, number one. And um, and then a, a lack of push from the administration where it's OK that you have one officer who's always doing is just sitting behind some you know sign someplace waiting somebody with the most minor of traffic infraction come on instead of out interviewing people or canvassing a neighborhood where there was a robbery that had just occurred or where we might need to be able to find a witness uh that uh that might be willing to step forward or how to develop a ci as an example so um so that the I, I do want to step back a second and say that i i stand here as a critic of the status quo at the moment uh with two different perspectives the first one is i'm, I'm thrilled that we are, you know, again, I could be a little jaded, but we have enough people now who are in our corner as a training company that have said, we like what you're doing. We like you have to say, and we're going to train our people. So we know we've seen progression. We can measure it in just the feedback we're receiving. That's right. Um, two, uh, the reason I am frustrated with the training and, uh, and, and, and the things that we're talking about now and these minor traffic violations, because that was me. I was that guy. I was the guy that had no training and I didn't know what I was doing. And I, I tell people all the time, I, I ran random plates all day. I looked for the shit box cars. I didn't need to start with that. I, I wrote tickets. I wanted to be productive. I had a lot of energy, but I didn't know where to put it. Nobody put their hand on my shoulder and said, you've got the right attitude, right? You're putting it in the wrong direction. And I worked for an agency where 
as I began to shift how I did things, people, some people followed suit and some people didn't like it. And, right. and my friend Vinny, who's a, a good dude, gave me a compliment one time. He goes, you know, you came in here and you did it completely different. And, and people didn't like that. He goes, but it was right. And uh, you did it exactly the way it was supposed to be done. And it, you were against a lot of adversity in this fucking place. And, and I wasn't even as good as I am now. And I want to say in a sense of stoicism and, and thoughtfulness. True. And I also, I want to remind you that I haven't been in law enforcement in six and a half years wearing a uniform. So I'm less jaded and more worldly. And I think that we do a nice job as a training company to bring that back into it, that not everybody, all the less, you know, three calls might've been very, very confrontational. You've got to learn how to be able to pivot from confrontational back to being non-confrontational. And at the same time, making sure you don't get killed. It's a very, very delicate balance uh, and difficult thing for a police officer, especially younger ones, to try to learn how to navigate. And it takes time. And unfortunately, society and administration doesn't give you an opportunity to work through that. And the only way to do that better is to put them through scenario-based training and have somebody who has thoughtfulness enough to say, look, you, you've got to care about these things because it will... These are some of the things that are going to really bite you in the ass later on in life or make your life much easier as you progress through your career. Um, this is the conversation we're being, that are being had. You know, we had a meeting today uh, and we're, I'm, I'm so proud to announce that we are partnering with the New Jersey Special Olympics for their polar bear plunge here in New Jersey. And, uh, and the guy said, you know, how are you with everybody? One, the guy who runs the thing, and he's a retired uh, state trooper here. And I said, you know, and I remind people this all the time. I said, 96% of the agencies in New Jersey think we're the best thing that happened to law enforcement and uh, the 4% of those chiefs who don't want me shoved off a cliff. I go, but in turn, their guys want them shoved off a cliff. That makes sense. He goes, I figured you would say that. He goes, those chiefs that should have retired 15 years ago. Yeah. Go, His people are, these people are struggling for the training. We have the answers. They want it. And you've got some, some person with some very deep mental issues at the top, putting the kibosh on it. And, and it starts in very simple of you're not even open-minded to hear what we're doing. Right. That's that's the first thing. So, you know, I think there are a lot of factors we consider as to where we are, why we are where we are. And I always tell people, we're not just sitting here on a podcast saying it every single day. That's myself right. and the people who work at this company come in here and try to move the needle towards progression in law enforcement. Because not only do I care about society, I care about my brothers and sisters. That's right. Um, you know, I, I at this point now, we've received so much feedback back on like, I'm alive because of you. I didn't kill myself because of you. Uh, we caught this guy in this group because of you. Um, I was able to do this because of you. And again, I'm not saying me. Street cop training as a whole. No, I got you. And, and uh, you know, I want to sound like narcissistic. And, and it, it's very rewarding for us to hear that. And it's the motivation for us to show up every single day and not just stand on a podium and scream this, but like, okay, now I'm off the podium. I got to get to work. We're going to need a little bit more today. Just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And I would add on to this as well, and especially you know if you have uh, officers uh, who, who are, are, are are training officers that, that that are listening, because one of the things that we have to accept as trainers um, or anyone who's out spreading a particular message is is that very often the rewards of your work goes unnoticed, right? And not not just like no one came to you and was like, "Great job," right? Um, is is that you know. Like if, if we talk about, let, let, let's say, you know, what we're talking about today with, um, with like, like just doing little fishing expedition traffic stuff, right? Focus on something that, you know, is really what you signed up to do. 
there may be an officer who's listening to this um, who sees some you know shitty car drive by and decides not to pull them over. And they may not be in their head consciously going, well, the reason why I'm not pulling that car over is because I listened to this great podcast today. And, uh, and I agree with this idea that, you know, maybe we should be focused on bigger things. It's just something that just happened, right? Because of the exposure of this conversation or a particular training. Um, and, and that may, you know, uh, include saving a life or saving your own life, right? Is, is that you don't always kind of get that reward back. So I always say that, you know, for every compliment you receive uh, for something, you know, some positive impact that you did, there, you know, there's probably dozens that that you influence people on. And I think that part of the problem that that trainers have and why we have such high rate of burnout uh, with trainers is, is that there isn't always this kind of um, there's some, but, you know, there's not this, uh, you know, kind of clear um, result of their action. Right. Because you know, especially we have a long-term investment in people. So you can't expect an ROI. We have people here that don't, don't convert on the second day they're working here. They convert seven, eight months along the line when their idea came to fruition and worked out to be something good. So I'm not dissuading people from going out and being proactive at all. That's literally the opposite motto of our training company. The, the top rocker of my logo uh, is a Latin phrase that means position to win. I mean, that speaks volumes of what we're talking about. What we're sure. saying is, if you have energy, we'll take it from us. We'll show you how to use it properly and effectively. Right. And and nobody will snicker at solid police work. Maybe at first, because they've never seen it before. Yeah. Uh, but nobody will snicker at a, at a job well done, especially namely when we talk about simple digestive things like of understanding how to put yourself in a position to compel identification from people where you can at least warrant check them namely passengers in cars, right? Um, because, you know, so, and you could do that without disturbing the piece of, and I explained to class, Hey, listen, we're out here on a seatbelt detail. Notice you in the backseat of the car in the state, you have to wear a seatbelt. No big deal. Not even get a summons. I actually just put it in the, in the computer. I just want you guys to know that it's very dangerous. I just got to document that I told you and real quick, just got to see your ID and then you'll be on your way and no big deal. And by the way, you look back, you're like, all right. Yeah. Sorry. Don't wait. You know, listen, it's a $54 fine. Uh, we're not going to, be implementing that today. I just, I'm out here and I got to let you know that it's very dangerous. And they're on a big push because we had a kid killed in a car crash two weeks ago. And it's so, you know, we're, we're, we don't want to wreck your day. But by the way, even that, just that, I always tell people, even just that stop alone is going to give you so much more of a clear view of what's going on inside that vehicle. And secondly, guess what? If you swung and missed, you did it politely, there was a negative return and you can hand that information back and go, yeah, listen, just make sure you wear your seatbelt. And somebody goes, my God, I was great. Yeah. What they didn't realize you were doing is that on the seventh car you do that, you're going to hit a guy who's got a uh, may have significant want for his arrest. And that's a big deal in society when you can remove, I don't know the number on how many people are wanted, but there's a lot. And, you know, by the way, sometimes it's going to be child support, right? And it's going to be a pain in the butt. Uh, but number 17, maybe somebody who's wanted for some really awful thing. And there's nothing more. Um, you know, comforting than, than taking somebody's wanted on a double homicide out of society when, when for seven years the marshals looked for them and you nailed them being a backseat passenger, employing something as simple as a seatbelt as a vehicle to achieve a larger law enforcement objective. Now, again, your, your critics, your coworkers, your administration might say, look at this guy. He's out here doing this bullshit work. Well, maybe I think that you with the laser gun on the highway is doing bullshit work. I'm out here trying to do important work and I'm using unorthodox, which just means 
different than what everybody else is doing, styles of police work to get society. And by the way, I always tell people, look, they're going to break your chops until you hit that guy who's wanted for raping the kid. Then you're going to be on their Facebook page. They're going to make a spectacle of you because it looks good for them. Right. And, and they're going to ask you later on, how do you do that? Can teach others to do that? Because we want more good press coming our way. It happens all the time. Sure, sure. Well, and, and I, I think that, you know, one of the other things is that when we talk about, um, when, when, when we talk about uh, the purposes behind traffic stops, right, um, is, is that, you know, I, I'm not a fan of, of, you know, just these kind of, you know, random pretext stops just in hopes of, you know, stopping every car with a headlight out or whatever. Yeah, ra- uh, random, focused, proactive. Right. You know, we always, right. our, our philosophy is probability versus possibility. You know, yeah, we don't, it, we're, not a, it, we're not in the it, possibilities it, game. Yeah, it, it, exactly. So, so, but you do hear these kind of anecdotes of people be like, well, you know, I stopped a hundred cars and there was one, right. And, and, and I always talk about like, well, well, what happened with the relationship with the 99 before that? Right. But there's even something more than that, that, you know, even if you say like, well, they violated the law. So therefore, even if it's something minor, they deserve to be stopped. Is is that we have, you know, we, we place a lot of emphasis on officer safety. Traffic stops are number two uh, circumstance for which an officer is going to get killed, right? Domestic violence calls number one. I'm going to uh, jump in here and just pepper in this real quick is that, by the way, you know, we're our training programs show you it's generally not just to carte blanche, start pulling over everybody. Right. It's just a sure, theory sure, sure. on if you did it, you would run into something eventually. But we'll show you what reaction to presence looks like historically and what you could expect to receive when you start having a trained eye. And, and by the way, Randy, let's face facts. You can listen to it all you want in class, but you've got to go out and be practical with it to get better and sharper at it. That's right. You know, we're, we're our, our number two instructor at this company, who's probably one of the most impressive interdiction officers in the country, who's about the nicest human being you'll ever meet in your life, has a 90% plus ratio of encountering significant crime on every single traffic stop. So what we've right. said to him is, tell people what you do so they can copy it. I mean, literally this morning, he hit a... He hit a I don't know what the total number was. I think he had about 140,000 in cash vacuum sealed on a traffic stop. He made one traffic stop today. Right, right. So. Yeah, no, I, and, and, and by no means am I saying that, you know, traffic stops are not uh, uh, a good tool, uh, a good investigative tool. That They sure are. Uh, I'm just not a big fan of, let's just stop every, everything that's No, oh, I agree too. I, I, why, yeah. why would you waste uh, your time? To me, but, play, right. running radar and stopping every car is a big waste of time. Yeah, energy. Okay, effort. Exactly. So having a keen eye and understanding, uh, you know, what's what's normal, what's not normal. And, you know, when we find things that are not normal and we use a pretextual stop to stop a vehicle and at least give us an, uh, an opportunity to get a little bit more to see if our hunches served us correct. You can disengage if you think you've missed. And I'm not saying stop 14 cars every 10 minutes. I'm saying be patient, watch what you're looking for and have far more significant impact than writing a book and a half of tickets a day. Right, but know what you're looking for, right? And you've got to get trained on it. And we offer the products. We're not just saying it. We've got seven classes on how to, uh, you know, what we're looking for when these guys go out and hit sig- anywhere from significant seizures to significant impact on society. And I, and and again, you have an instructor here in New Jersey who tells people this is real. And I talk about this class. I go, there's a guy here who tells people, yeah, you know, uh, pretextual stops are are a thing of the past. I go, you know, it's it's crazy when I hear this because what this guy tells you to do is. If you're going to, you know, run radar, run rear radar with your rear antenna. Don't look into cars. We had a kid kidnapped about three years ago to park here, right? And I thought to myself, as soon as I saw this thing that she got kidnapped, real, legit, gone. She's gone. They have nobody. It's She's toast. Uh, and I hate to make such light of it because I'm a father of many children. And it's, it's, it's an awful thing. And I thought to myself immediately, 
how many police cars did this guy drive past where they were playing laser tag with bumpers, where they were looking at a radar screen trying to find somebody who met their criteria for what they felt was a violation? And maybe just maybe had you been looking into the car, you might have seen a little hand go up and being shoved back down. You might have said, you know what? That was fucking weird. That didn't look like a father who was disciplining a child. Let me see if I have a motor vehicle violation. Oh, okay. He's four over. That's enough for at least for me to be suspicious because I owe that to society and that girl. And we just saw it recently in Detroit. We just saw it recently, a guy from our group from right where you guys are in LA. Homicide suspect, minor violation. They got him three days after he killed two people. I have it in my phone. So here's a guy who takes our training, goes out and begins to practice his craft. And again, like anything else, business, you name it, you've got to go out and practice and you're going to swing and miss. And you've got to be given that blessing to try legitimately and to hone your craft in. There's no training course that's going to get you right to 90% plus, but we can get you a few percentage points closer to it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm an extreme advocate for pretextual stops when it's trained and it's done correctly and within the legalities and conformities of the law. Unfortunately, they're done because they're no, they're done, but they're done because of improper training. And I was one of those people. You know, we laugh about that stuff. I was one of those people. Yep, I was nowhere too. to go. Yeah, I was too. I mean, um, uh, the very first department I worked in was a very small department, but uh, I, in essence, I went to the academy, came out. I, I had about a day's worth, if even that, of uh, field training. And then I was sent off on my own, right? I, I'm old enough to where they handed me a map. Uh, and said, I had a map. Right. I had a map too. I'm old enough too. Uh, <laughs> um, Listen, I, I just use a lot of moisturizer, Randy. I know I look, I got good skin. Right. I, mm-hmm. I, I am, I started when I was 19. I'm 40 now. Uh, so yeah. 21 years ago, about, I, I, well, a little, little more than 20 years ago. I'm not 21 quite yet, but uh, same thing. I had a map. There was no, I remember a Garmin. They had them out, right? Yes. Yeah. But they were like 1,200 bucks. Right. And like one person had one. One person was so god bad, goddamn bad with directions. We always had one person who had one at every agency. Yeah. Uh, it, well, but, but my greater point was is like I, I I had no idea what I was doing. Nobody does. I, I was I was fucking lost as ever. And um, it's it, it's uh, and it doesn't matter what kind of job that you're in. Of course, you know, there's nothing that you know. No training is going to replace experience, right? I mean. But, but without having this kind of foundation, then exactly to what your point was, is that my view was not, let me do some targeted pretext stuff. So I, I have less of an issue with that as long as, as long as they're, you know, they're, I, I mean. Good intentions uh, behind it, right? Not, it, it, not it, ill exactly. intentions, right. not based not on bias. Or, yeah. Right. right. Uh, and, and by the way, I don't think people, uh, or consciously in today's day and age, you know, the people that I meet and know. Uh, or consciously racial, they might be subconsciously profiling um, because of how the brain is programmed to see. And we're trying to unravel your brain and reprogram it to say like, everybody's a mannequin. And and, yeah. and, it's, and, it's, a, and it's a clear mannequin. Right. And, and yeah, this is probably worth an episode by itself. I mean, I, I would say that the issues around bias are more driven by policy, uh, right? Not even not even on the local police department level by legislative policies, those kinds of things, than it is whether or not an individual officer, um, uh, you know, harbors a particular, uh, you know, uh, uh, ill will towards another demographic. But right. Uh, but 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 to the earlier point was is that I wasn't doing targeted or or intelligent stops, right? I was just saying, look, I know if I stop twenty five people, one of them's going to have a suspended license. Lack of training. I, I don't give a shit 
who they are, what kind of car they're driving or where, what neighborhood they're in um, is, is that if I stop, you know, 20 or 25, I'm going to get one that's suspended or one with a warrant. And, and then, you know, right, exactly. And then I was able to put that on, you know, a, a very two-dimensional statistical sheet to right. my boss and be like, look what I did today, right? Uh, I wrote, you know, six tickets and uh, had to arrest or whatever. And and it was only applauded, right? But there was no deep dive into it of like, okay, well, how did that further public safety? I'll even say something up? crazy right now. I mean, I'll even say something nuts and I don't agree with it, but even if you did that, but you did it and weren't an asshole about it, you'd have, you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't even, there's, there's I mean, it's a little like, hey, I know you're trying and you were nice. And you were polite to people and you're respectful. Um, you know, it, it, again, I don't agree with it, but it's just think about versus when you're new and you don't even know how to talk to people. That's right. That's and I tell guys in class, I said, listen, there's a lot of you who look young in here, right? Especially for to a guy like me who's now in his 40s. Um, contrary to what you believe in your brain of how you're going to command respect, the people who look the youngest in here will receive the most respect when they're the kindest. So you need to see everybody as your mother, your brother, your sister. And, you know, keep in the back of your mind that there could be a danger factor here. And you may not. And I, by the way, I, I feel trained a lot. There were people who uh, could not recognize danger when it was afoot. And I actually told the guy one time, I said, you know, uh, kid, I was field training. I go, what I did with this gentleman was something from somebody who's very experienced with dealing with criminals. I lived in jail for two and a half years. I've been on the road for, for, for 12. Uh, and I'm very much attuned with how the mentality is. I go, let me tell you something. You got very comfortable with this guy very fast. And although we've been professional with him, he's a very, very dangerous person. This is somebody who is not any, we're just, the only reason he went peacefully is because of the way I'm able to communicate to him. So don't get it fucked up of how dangerous this guy was. If you were by yourself and you acted the way you did with him, he would eat you for breakfast and maybe take your life. Yeah. At the same time, I want you to recognize the professionalism, the way that I treated him with respect and how I was able to talk him into handcuffs. And this guy was wanted for a heroin trafficking in New Jersey. And yeah. he happened to be a passenger in a car on a traffic stop who was having a reaction to our presence. And this was a guy with a criminal history that was thicker than the Bible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I, I try to, there's this, again, I think we're going back to the same thing is there's this balance. So how do we get guys and girls better? It's the same theme and the thing, theme, same thing that you're arguing. I'm in the same corner with you. Yeah. You need more training. And, and it can't be just from us. It can't be just from the 31 instructors here at Street Cop Training or the 60 next year that'll be here. Uh, it has to be from people who are thoughtful enough to give the right information out. Do I well, think? And, and, and have as a, um, a the, the broadest amount of education and experience around the topic. Or, the topic, right? You don't, have to, right. you don't have to know everything, just the topic right. you teach. Look, look, San Jose Police Department um, launched a, a pilot program a couple of years ago um, Around, um, it, it was actually when Colin Kaepernick, he, he had quoted us uh, about uh, this disparity between um, uh, cosmetology and police officers training, right? Um, and the police chief, uh, you know, w was aware of, of like some of this blowback is legitimate, right, of, uh, of the grievances that they were hearing. And he said, you know, one of the issues that, that we face is, is that police officers really don't have a good grasp of the history of policing and why they're with the historical context of why some communities are, 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 are going to, you know, not have as a favorable, favorable view as the police as others. 
And he, but he did what he did was is that they they, they crafted this program. Um, uh, I think it started as eighty hour program, it got cut back to forty hours, but it was like right after they came out of the academy, but right before field training, and it was taught um, by an by academia, right? It wasn't taught by uh, a community activist who's probably you know carrying their own high level of bias. Right, um, right, because that's the worldview that they're that that they're on both on both on both sides, Randy. You know what I mean? On right. both sides. Yep. But they didn't also put it up with a uh, old time copper who's just going to be like, um, well, you know, they're just going to bitch and moan, right? This was just an honest approach from in, as independent as possible, uh, saying that look, there is some legitimacy to the complaints. There is some legitimacy to this ill feeling. Uh, some of it is what we're doing today, but some of it is harbored because of this has been going on. You know, the, some problems have been going on for years and years. And they kind of go through this timeline of starting with slave catchers and then property police and then all the way up into Watts Riots and Rodney King. And um, uh, and then on the last day, they bring members of the community in, right, um, uh, especially from mar marginalized communities who've been impacted by these bad policies. And, and they sit with them. And uh, and not only does the officer get to be able to hear now with the context of, of, of the history that, you know, that that a lot of people are kind of carrying, um, but so did that member of the public who was like, well, yes, I, I understand that you feel like, you know, uh, I'm just out fucking with you if I'm stopping you, you know, at, at two in the morning. But here's the reasons why we do this. Right. And then. And, and and then it becomes kind of this 360 degree education, right? Isn't it amazing what communication could do, right? Just Absolutely. it's all about communication, right? For sure. And but and you know, and and I really applaud uh, uh, departments uh, San Jose. You know, they they put out a few models um, that uh, that have been carried, you know, for different things across the United States. I hope that this one is picked up as well. Is is because. One of the things that, like, for me, um, very funny enough, uh, uh, if I may say, it was in the 1990s, um, so I was very young and, you know, uh, as a police officer, um, but I heard uh, a line out of Tupac, right, that, uh, and his song changes, that he said, instead of a war on poverty, there's a war on drugs, so the police can bother me. And, um, uh and, and and that hit me in a way that um, I was like, there's another side of the story I don't know, mm -hmm. right? There's another perspective. Whether I agree 100% with it or not, that's not the point, right? Uh, I agree on the perspective. I mean, I, I agree on the perspective. I mean, yeah. Um, I, I, I think the world the, 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 the world the world changes so dynamically with with uh, you know technology and you know sure. I would I, I listen I I tell people I've worked in in jail I've talked to people who didn't have food right to eat right yeah you yeah know? exactly um but 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 to me that you know, setting aside the point of what he was making you know that that specific point for me what it was is that someone who grew up in you know not a totally rural area but but on the uh far outskirts i was closer to the farms than i was the city um outside of cincinnati is is that I didn't really have an exposure to what someone, you know, in urban conditions, what their life experience had been, right? I mean, I, I didn't understand that that there was a whole different viewpoint on the policies or around um, 
what how policing would be viewed. And, you know, so for me, you know, I walked away going like, holy shit. Like th- 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 that wasn't anything that ever kind of crossed my mind. That right. You didn't think about it. Be, yeah, yeah. As logical as it is. Right. I mean, I think it's a fair question to ask is, is that, you know, are, are we spending as much resources to, you know, to to deal with poverty and education and these things that prevent crime as we are to enforce it? But and you know, it's funny. You, you see these, <laughs> these, these half assed attempts to try to resolve this. And and what it comes down to is somebody just not having the the ability to process how something like this does get resolved. And and I got to tell you, uh, doing TikTok dances at a block party is not going to fix this shit. No, just so we're no, clear. it isn't. Now, by the way, we have a TikTok account. We do funny shit too. <laughs> but if we're but our purpose is to promote marketing uh, and to that really that's what it comes down to. If you really think about it, and not only marketing but using these platforms to educate and improve what we're trying to improve. But you know, uh, it's just the attempts are so futile and, and they're just so ridiculous that you're not resolving it. You know, you're not having the conversation. And the, and the coolest thing is, and I see these videos on TikTok and on social media times is, you know, you make it the issue that you want to make it. I have more friends of diversity and have no ill feelings towards anybody deep down anywhere in my soul but when you start to make it, you're starting to convince people of it. So let's have the conversation the other way. But the problem again, and I'm not going to get to some crazy, um, you know, hypothetical or, or, or you know, um, that's what I'm looking for, like some kind of uh, conspiracy theory. But the bottom line is it doesn't sell ads for the media. Right. Sure. It's not a sexy thing where you can say to a banner ad, hey, this is our viewership. Now it's they create controversy when there's no controversy to create. And you can see now, as of today's December 10th, 2021, the media has overall laid off on the police because it stopped being hot. Right. They can't, they're not get people, they've recognized that people have had enough of this shit and it's not fixed anything. And we want to get fix and resolution. There's no question about it. And it's a big to do. It is, but it doesn't mean it shouldn't start to be done. We have to recognize what we're up against. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, uh, the, the, I, I think, you know, uh, no one would argue that that the media uh, is going to sensationalize things as much as possible. Oh, it's ridiculous. Uh, right. I mean, if it if, if it bleeds, it leads uh, kind of thing. I, 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 I would probably say that, um, you know, that that, you know, some attention. Right. Has been warranted. Right. When we talk about. Look, I remember Rodney King as an example is, is that, um, when, when Rodney King was beaten, um, I, I was not taught don't fucking beat people. Right. That, that's not what I was taught. What I was taught was yell, stop resisting while you beat somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Or you better start being mindful because now at that time it was camcorders you know, camcorders are now very accessible to the public. So, you know, it's not, it's not just if you happen to have a physical altercation with somebody. Um, So, uh, you know, uh, uh, has, uh, has the media, um, uh, I mean, do they chase this? Yeah, of course. Um, Right. I mean, they're going to run with what's sensationalized, but at the same time, is, is that I think on balance is, is that, you know, sure, any balance. How about this? Why are we sensationalizing all the wonderful things cops are doing? Right. Right. For sure. For that's sure. a, that's a, that's a real feel good stuff too. That makes, that will, that would sell ads. People like puppies and shit like that. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, 
absolutely. So what one of the one of the other things, if, if I may, and I'm going to shift it just a little bit before we run out of time, because it's something that's really dear to me. Then, especially because I, I think that a lot of your the, a lot of your audience, I assume, are, are people tied to law enforcement in one way or another. This is that one of the things that I think is super important. I'm not sure if you guys uh, offered it, but I, I heard you make mention to it. Is is that when we talk about officer safety, I think it's super important that we really start talking about what specifically are killing police officers, right? right. So, um, uh, you know, obviously COVID is a huge issue, uh, but I'm going to set that even aside and just talk about, you know, what's what's happening, um, you know, year over year, not not just in a pandemic. Um, we place a lot of emphasis in training on on the chance of the possibility of being killed by homicide. And when the reality is, is that, you know, uh, we've had an uptick this year, uh, right? Because homicide rates are up all across the country. So logically, the, the, this would happen as well. We've had a, a problem for the last few years with like ambush shootings, those kinds of things. So, of course, there needs to be, you know, a great deal of attention that's paid to that. But the bigger issue is, is suicides, is police suicides, right? And um, when we talk of, you know, twice as many, three times as uh, in some years, it's been uh, three or four times the amount of, of uh, death by suicide than homicide. Um, but when we look at training that officers are receiving around the identification of depression, PTSD, um, or, um, uh, or, 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 or recognizing it for their, you know, their partner or uh, a fellow member, substance abuse, right, uh, remains an enormous issue, um, is, is that if, if we're going to say that that we spend all of this emphasis on officer safety, uh, right, because we want for the preservation of, of officers' lives, is that we've got to start getting our hands around uh, this this issue around police suicides, right? Uh, uh, you're far more likely if you are a police officer, you're far more likely to be killed by by, by you uh, than be killed by someone else. So. Uh, I'm going to jump in here real quick, and I think you're going to like this. We now have a program here. Um, and in July, we brought our first psychotherapist on, uh, who is a law enforcement trauma expert. And uh, we have a group. So here's a few groups that we have on Facebook, and I want to share these for people while we're on this topic. Uh, we, have, we have the first group we have is law enforcement. Uh, it's, it's called Street Cop Survivors Club by Street Cop Training. And it's police officers who are... Uh, injured very, very significantly in the line of duty, whether it was by gunfire or some kind of motor vehicle crash or something like that. Uh, and there's a small, it's a small niche group, about 70 plus guys at this moment. And that was actually the inception of it was at our conference in Atlantic City uh, in October this year. Um, and that's been wonderful because these guys have reported back and girls, we have girls in that one too, that this is the best thing that has come for them mentally that they've found. Uh, the second one we have is, we have a group called, um, and it's it's just getting kicked off. It's called a Blue Line Families by Street Cop Training. So it's a support group for the family members of law enforcement officers, uh, in in you know where they can come in and, and discuss things. And that's really at its beginning stages. We're actually just having a meeting this afternoon after this is over with some of the people who are four therapists of law enforcement officers who their wives essentially. We have the families of the shot police officers in the line of duty and the injured, they have their own Facebook group ran by uh, Abby Overton, who is Josiah Overton, who was shot in the line of duty multiple times uh, during and lost his partner in a uh, active shooter situation. Uh, she has 
uh, spearheaded that. And then, you know, we're now going into this space tremendously. A lot of podcast episodes are around uh, alcohol abuse, substance abuse, and suicide. And, you know, somebody said to me, what made you go down this path? And I said, well, how am I going to say I'm going to fix these things if I don't fix this as well? Right. So it's very much on our radar as well. And I'm glad that you said it. And I want to applaud you for, for bringing that up. And we are taking it very seriously here. On top of us teaching you how to be a police officer, we're also teaching you how to be uh, aware of things like this. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I wanted to. No, and I'm really glad to hear that you're doing it. Because I think that, you know, the disservice that we have when we talk about officer safety and the training academies is, is that it's constantly talking about death by homicide. And that's it, right? You know, an officer is equally likely to die in a traffic collision as well, right? Um, and so um, so being mindful of, of being able to say that, yeah, of course, you know, uh, I always, uh, especially for those who, you know, may, may be harsh critics or detractors, is I, I always say that, like, look, there is something to be said about anyone who's running towards danger that the rest of us are running away from, right? And that that comes with an immense amount of stress and immense amounts of these spikes of adrenaline on and off. Um, because, you know, because that's what, what what we're thinking about is, is that on my way that I'm running code to get to this disturbance, is there a chance that I'm going to be murdered? Well, there's also a great chance that you're going to end up having a traffic collision on the way and dying as a result of that. Or there is also a great chance of because you're dealing with these high spikes of, of stress or, or dealing with things that look aren't, you know, we, we see things in society that, uh, that most people don't ever, you know, they go a lifetime without, you know, most people see a dead body. They, they see it at a funeral home. Right. And that's it. Um, that's very, very different than seeing a child who's been, you know, who's been killed by homicide or who's been thrown through a windshield or, uh, you know, uh, been mowed down by a car, right? Um, is is that it, 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 you know, maybe maybe it's not going to just happen in that one instance, but but if you're building this up over and over and over, over years and years and years, um, is, is that this has to land someplace, right? And, and, and unfortunately, it's landing um, where we're, you know, uh, without programs like what you, what you're doing is is that giving officers this or I'm sorry without giving officers the tools that are needed in how to deal with it and so therefore self medication um, or or ultimately suicide ends up being uh, uh, the answer to it so I, I I always just say that it's important that you know I, uh, that when we talk about officer safety that 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 this is this is not a single thing right this is this is there's issues that are coming in every direction. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, we've been going for a while. So, yes, sir. Uh, and, and, and I, I knew that we were going to end up on the same page here. Are there any final thoughts besides that last final thought that you want to get out and promote and please, you know, take this time to do so, uh, whatever you want to, uh, objectively convey besides the stuff that we've conveyed already. No, I, I mean, I, th I think that we've hit uh, the major areas. I, I, I think as well, we could probably this could probably be a six-hour um, conversation. Oh, and, I'll be in big and, trouble, really. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I would say, you know, that that we all just kind of have to keep in mind that there's a lot of nuance to this, and you know, and 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 just to be open-minded to listen, and and even when things seem very, very foreign, that. Um, you know, not not to retreat to defensiveness or or criticism that someone just doesn't understand is is that you know 
uh, people's worldview is shaped by their experiences, right? Um, and and you know, don't get caught up in this is the way we always did it, um, yeah. right? Uh, th- and that's a tough one because you know our brain is designed to keep doing what we've done, right? right. We, you know, that's why we have confirmation biases. Is that uh, so? So we're going against the grain, but that's that's the best thing that I would say is is that um, you know. First, recognizing we need to make some changes, and then, and then, you know, the argument of what exactly we change comes comes after that. So, but I, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, I think this is a good discussion. Hopefully, it was uh, uh, positive for for those who are listening. Yeah, I, I, I don't think anybody's going to find that this was something that wasn't positive, uh, and we try to do a mix up in our podcasts of of the different kind of things that we uh, embark upon in this in this program. So, hey, listen, man. To both Gil and uh, Randy, who are here at this time, happy holidays to both of you. If your holiday passed, happy past holiday, Gil, like, based on your last name. Yes, uh, if it ended on, my last name. Yeah, I was going to say, if, if, if it was the sixth that it ended, I was conscious of that. Uh, I'm, yeah. always, I'm always yeah, very yeah. well aware of what Hanukkah is. I have a lot of Jewish friends. So okay. happy past holidays. and uh, Thank you. And uh, I'm sure that you guys still do a little something, I'm guessing, for, uh, you know, for give kids, Gil. I got a small child, seven yeah. years old. Yeah, I get it. So I uh, listen. So uh, it's still whimsical for her. Yeah, right. Exactly. So listen, <laughs> it was wonderful meeting you guys. And I, you know, hopefully to a, a lifetime of friendship and collaboration, I'm sure we'll meet again on some front and say, yeah, I, I know that guy. That's a thoughtful yeah. guy right there. You know, I think we're all on the same page, whether it's with a little bit of a twist and dynamic to it. Uh, I think we're all coming from the same good place and uh, and it was, it was wonderful speaking with you. I knew something wonderful was going to be today. And and the time is never wasted when we're talking about pushing an agenda that's very important to the world. It's not something that is, we're not talking about the, uh, you know, circuit boards here. We're talking about things that are major in society and the preservation of life at the forefront. So anyway, guys, have a great, happy holidays. It was great having you on. I thank you so much. You too. Thank you very thank much. Thank you, Dennis. All right, All guys. Right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.